theyeshiva.net. I would like to address dealing with some of the pain and challenges of mental illness in many of our lives or in the lives of our loved ones. The first thing that it's so important to acknowledge when dealing with mental illness is that so many people, unfortunately, have a very poor understanding of the dynamics. Even people who are close to us, people who love us and like us, family, friends, unless they're educated or they have had, unfortunately, personal experience with mental illness, they simply don't understand. They also don't understand the depth of the pain and suffering and agony that people struggling with mental illness endure. I remember a student of mine once approached me. He came to see me in my home. Very successful person. I still remember, like, doing well, ambitious, smart, uh, deep person, and just an overall successful person, affluent, did well for himself, but suffered from serious depression, and lived an unbelievably, lives an unbelievably disciplined life, in terms of exercise and waking up and routine and habits and going to the gym and going for therapy and taking whatever he has to take, whether vitamins or medications, in order to to contain it. But he told me once, he said, nobody will ever imagine the pain, just the inner, inner pain, the void, the black hole, the emptiness that I experience on a daily basis. And it doesn't look like I'm going through anything. It's not on the outside. He's not emaciated. He doesn't have cancer. He doesn't have Parkinson's. He doesn't have another terrible illness. May God bring a complete and speedy recovery to everybody. It's all internal. On the outside, he's he's smiling. But internally, there is that pain that nobody who has not experienced it or really is educated about it can even begin to comprehend. Like, well, what, what are you so upset about? You know, go go do what you have to do. There's nothing physically wrong. And it's so, it was so, he was sharing this with me, how little it's mis- it's understood. And I say this to all of you because it's important to have compassion for yourself and not to allow other people's perception and other people's ignorance to define to yourself what your role is, what you have to do. You have to take care of yourselves. You have to understand what you're going through. You have to appreciate it. You have to respect the struggle, have compassion for the struggle, and realize, in the words of Hillel, in Pirkei Avis, in the Ethics, chapter 1, in Eina Nili, Mili, if I am not here for me, who will be here for me? Now, many of you have families, your wives and mothers, and some of you are grandmothers, or your whoever, wherever you, wherever you are in the stage, various stages of life, single or married, married for many years, married short. But you have other responsibilities in life, which is amazing, which is incredible. But im ena nili mili, 
you have to be able to nurture your own humanity, your own neshama, your own brain. And you know from experience what works and what doesn't work. So yes, get best advice of top experts. Get feedback from good people who understand you and appreciate you. But ultimately, the buck has to stop by you. You know what really works for you. You know what doesn't work for you. And you need to nurture that and respect that. And that sometimes demands boundaries that other people won't always appreciate. I remember I was speaking some time ago to couples suffering from infertility. And couples were saying how difficult it is. They come from large Hasidic communities where there are so many weddings among the family. Baruch Hashem, it's amazing. You know, some families have 11 siblings, 14 siblings, and the next generation, every night is a simcha, or every other night, or every week. If it's not a vachnacht, it's a bris. If it's not a bris, it's a sheva brachas. If it's not a sheva brachas, it's an option. If it's not an option, it's a bar mitzvah. If it's not a bar mitzvah, it's a malava malka. If it's not a malava, it's a wedding, a mitzvah tans. Thank God, amazing. And the family continues to grow, and everybody is growing and having children and making simchas. And this couple was sharing how painful it is to be able to come to that wedding. And stay there at the wedding. Everybody with their babies. They can't have children. They do not have children. And then the mitzvah tans is four o'clock in the morning. And it's so difficult. And I explained to them that it's so important to be able to respect what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. And to learn how to go in for a few minutes, give a big hug to the chasana, to the kala, whether it's him or her. Really genuinely express your, your happy feelings for them and good wishes. And then you may have to go home. And people who really care about you and really want to know, and you can trust them, you may want to share the real reason for it. Maybe not everybody is capable of hearing it. But this was came as a surprise for some of them because they felt that their obligations to the family trumps everything else. And what they didn't realize is that family is here first and foremost to support each other. And if my brother or my sister or my mother or my grandmother or my aunt cannot understand that if I'm going through something, I can't stay till four o'clock in the morning, not because I don't love them, but because I have a challenge, I have a struggle. Somebody has a sick child at home. They can't stay till four o'clock in the morning. They have a child in the hospital, the same is true with yourselves, even though you're not children. You have to respect your needs, not just because you're selfish, not because you're, sel- not because you're selfish, but because this is the shlichus that the Rebbeinu, this is the mission that Hashem, the Rebbeinu Shlalom gave you. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody can take care of you. The Tanakh says, the heart knows there's the stress of the soul. And then, if I'm only for myself, what am I? We all need relationships and we all need connections. And we all need to be there for each other. But first, first the foundation, Im'ena Nili Mili. You have to create the right boundaries. People who can't understand it and can't appreciate it, okay. You know, wonderful. Ignorance is bliss. But you who do know what you're going through, whether it's in terms of when you go to sleep and when you wake up and your schedules of exercise and how you eat, eating healthy, and the hobbies or endeavors or projects that you're engaged in that help your sanity and allow you to maintain an equilibrium and allow you to maintain a spiritedness and a positivity. These are things that are pikuach nefesh, especially when so many other people are dependent on you. You have to hold on to your energy. You can't squander your energy just to be yoytze for the velt, especially that much of it is people who don't even really care. 
You know, in our mind, we build up sometimes mountains of ideas that I have to be yaitza for this one, have to do things for this one. They once asked a 106-year-old woman, what's the advantage of living to this age? And she said, no, no peer pressure. It's very important, whatever age you're in, not to allow peer pressure to dictate what is really necessary for you in your life. There's another important point I want to make. And that has to do with help. It's important to be able to open yourself up to get the help you need from people you trust. Sometimes, sepasnished, I don't want to be so vulnerable, I don't want to take, I want to give, I got it. But if you're falling apart, you have to be able to turn to people who care for you and say, you want to help me, this is what I need. I need you to pick up the kids from school twice a week. I need you to go to Costco to buy things for Shabbos. You know when people say to you, how can I help you? Um, t- call me when you need help. That's never going to happen. Call me. What, what am I supposed to call you because I have to go shopping? Articulate to them. You really want to help me? Okay, this is what I need. I need this for the house. I need this for the kids. I need research. Can you do research about this issue? I'm not talking about people that you don't trust and you don't feel comfortable. I'm talking about people who really are close to you and want to help. Open yourself up to it. Because again, it's so important for you to be able to fulfill your mission for yourself and your loved ones, to be able to get all the help you need. Another very important idea is relationships, the marriages. In these situations when there's so much mental stress and so much mental agony, whether it's in yourself, in your spouse, in your child, we have to consolidate our marriages. Because we can't always get rid of the pain But when there's a strong marriage, we can deal with a lot of stuff. Because when a husband and a wife are a unified team, they can absorb lots of stuff that come their way. When we're fragmented, then the pain and the stress from the mental issues or other issues become doubled and tripled and exasperated, etc. And finally, the last point I make before we open up to questions is... We don't know why people go through what they go through. Much of life is mysterious. It's beyond our logic. Nobody knows why this person is struck with mental illness. Why this person has to deal with a chemical imbalance. Why this person has to deal with personality disorders, with mood disorders, with deep mental anguish, depression, or other forms of illness that you did not choose. In fact, it may be things that have been transmitted to you from previous generations. Or it may have come as a result of your different experiences. It's either nature or nurture or a combination of both and of many other factors that we're not cognizant of. The important thing, though, is perspective. God creates, I don't know if you saw this, but there's an incredible poem my wife sent me. I have to read this to you. Oops, so powerful. One of the individuals who was killed, who died in Miran, on Lagba Eimer, last Friday morning, Thursday midnight, Lagba Eimer, Tafshin Payalov, Lagba Eimer 5781, in the holy resting place of Rabban Shimon Ben Yechai, on his yard site, was a Jew named Reb Nesanel Shimon Matlun. He wrote a letter last Thursday, which means the day he died, he gave it to a friend and he asked him to open it on Sunday, which I guess was a day after his funeral. 
It's an unbelievable poem that he wrote in Hebrew. I'm going to translate it in English. It's just a free translation swiftly as I'm reading the Hebrew. So if it may be inaccurate in, in, an exp- in one expression or another. Here he goes. Instead of becoming filled with frustration, accept life with love. Instead of becoming hard and harsh, remain flexible. Instead of surrendering to anger, allow your mind to rule. Instead of lamenting and complaining, learn to be more grateful. Instead of finding the negative, learn to filter the toxicity. Instead of drowning in water, learn to say everything has a heavenly purpose. Instead of blaming the whole world, remember who is the master of all. Instead of getting upset and furious, take a deep breath and stretch. Instead of getting depressed, fine-tune your skills of faith. Instead of seeing blackness, choose the half of the cup that is full. Instead of submerging in depression, remember that from every test you can grow. Because God may create the situation and the circumstances, but you are the one who decides your attitude. Hashem koveye et hamatzav va'ata et matzav haruach. God establishes the facts, but you and I choose how to respond to those facts. Unbelievable. This is fresh from Reb Nesanel Shimon Matlun, Zeichet Tzadik Levracha, with the other 44 victims of Miron Lagboimer. And what I say to you is, this is so true about each of our lives. I can't always choose, you can't always choose your circumstances. You can't. But you and I choose how to react. To see ourselves as victims or as shluchim. Either I'm a victim, I'm a carbon, I'm a nebuch case because I have to deal with all this. Or as Yosef told his brothers, you did not sell me. Hashem sent me into each space of darkness in order to bring in more light there. And I bless all of you to have the courage and the resilience and the fortitude to be able to see yourselves that way. To be able to nurture yourselves that way with love and tenderness and compassion until we reach that moment in history and in our lives when all of our darkness is only perceived as a springboard to be transformed into eternal and infinite light. Thank you so much. It's a very powerful question that, you know, part of your a major issue in your life is feeling unloved by your parents and automatically gets transferred over to your relationship with Hashem. And how do you make sure that that doesn't happen? I think that's it's such an important question because it's so true about so many of our lives. Our model of God, our first model of God, is our father and our mother. And therefore, often the dysfunction we experience in our own home immediately translates to God, even if it's not done consciously. 
it happens when we're young children and then we just grow up with that. And it's so important to be able to have um, uh, patterns of internal work and meditation that helps us emancipate ourselves from those um, paralyzing paradigms. You know, I often tell my students, ask yourself, what is the first image that instinctively pops into your mind when you think of the term Hashem, or God, or Reboi or HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or the Heilek HaBashefer, or the Rebishter, whatever the term you're comfortable with. Is there a picture that instinctively pops into your brain when you hear, or you see, or you read, or you say, or you think about God? What is the picture your brain conjures, that image your brain conjures up in itself when you hear the word Hashem? And it's surprising to hear that many people actually associate a picture with Hashem. And it comes from childhood. And we never graduate from that picture. And that picture is sometimes very scary. And it has nothing to do with God. In fact, the Torah says, don't make a picture of God. And part of making a picture of God is defining Hashem as a replica of my tati or my mommy. <laughs> That's part of making an image. That's called Avodah Zarah. So I'm trying to explain to you the reason Moshe Rabbeinu warns the Jews against Avodah Zarah so much. It's not like many people think he was only talking about statues. He was also talking about statues in my mind. When I create an image of God that represents, that is represented by my father or my mother or my brother, my sister, my community, my teacher, myself, my illness, that is, that is pagan, that's pagan idolatry. And Hashem is telling you, my dear Kindelach, I'm not an image. I am infinite love. I am infinite love. I am you. I am your core. I am your reality at your core. And I think each morning it's important for you to meditate on this. When you say, The first thing you wake up and you thank him for your soul. You say, Take a deep breath and just imagine this, that God is embracing you with infinite love. God is infinite love. God is the core of consciousness that conceived you in love. And I don't want to turn him into an image. I don't want to turn it into an image. I don't want to turn her into an image. God is not a him and not a her and not an it. We say him or her HaKadosh Baruch Hu or Shechina simply because of our failure to describe infinity in language. But this is so important to be able to constantly make sure that when those thoughts of God pop into our mind as the dysfunctional tyrant that we may have experienced with other people in our life, with compassion, we turn to those thoughts and we say, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm really going to choose to cultivate a much truer and more authentic description of God, which is a God that has no description. You say, what is the message that we have to take out from the Miran tragedy? Why did God do it? So I think it's so important to say the truth. I don't know why God did it. And I think I would be very shocked to hear somebody say that they really know why God did it. We don't have today a prophet 
that God communicates to him or to her, like Yeshaya or Dvoira, like Miriam, Hanavia or Yecheskel or Amos or Tzvanya, to tell them why he did what he did, why he allowed it to happen. So the first thing is we have to really acknowledge our ignorance. We really, really don't know, number one. Number two, even when we think about it, we have to understand that so many things in life are completely beyond seichel, completely beyond the logic of a finite human being. In fact, you don't expect a child, a two-year-old, to understand an adult. You don't expect a four-year-old to understand a class in nuclear physics, even though in a few years the child is going to be the adult, and the child may be a scientist and may be even smarter than the adult. But you can't expect a two-year-old to understand an adult even though it's just a difference of a couple of years. To expect that a finite brain of a finite human being should really be able to wrap itself around an infinite God is ludicrous. So we really have to acknowledge that there is such a mystery here with the Lagba Emer story that as much as we talk about it and cry and explain and all different types of speeches that people are giving, the real, real truth of it, we don't understand. Why did it have to happen? Why such special souls? Why did they have to die in such a way? In that place and on that day and under those circumstances. And you look at those holy, beautiful faces of those 45 Lichtik and Hashem's beautiful souls, the children and the, and the Bachrim and the fathers of families, such exceptional people. I mean, we're hearing these, we're hearing this week the stories one by one by one. I mean, incredible, incredible people. Not just after they died, before they died. So at the end of the day, the real, real reason, we really, really don't know. We mamish don't know. And it's, it's really astounding because after so many years of galos, and after so much suffering, and after so much tshuva, and after so many good things, and mitzvahs, and maizim toivim, and Torah that have filled the world for thousands of years, and have accumulated over thousands of years. Ad Masai, how much longer does darkness have to prevail? How much longer does suffering have to prevail? It's so incomprehensible that another day passes. And we're complacent in Gullus. And we could be complacent with the fact that Mashiach didn't come. After such, so much that we have been through. Why, why did Gula, why did the Gula not come? And we don't have a real answer. We, we don't have a real good answer for this. After everything Klal Yisrael has been through, especially in the last generation, and where we are today, despite our flaws, and despite our shortcomings, and despite our mistakes, this is the time to be Melamed Tzchusam, Klal Yisrael, incredible people. There have been 2,000 years in exile, and still, still, holding on to their Yiddishkeit, and their Torah, and their Amunah, with such courage and such resilience. It's an incredible people you're part of, that we're part of. And yet, there's no question that God wants something. And I think each and every one of us, in our own way, has to be able to, in a non-aggressive and non-vindictive and non-judgmental way, only with compassion and love, see where I can become a more geula person. 
I can become a person who's not stuck by the shackles of the darkness of Golos. I can cleanse myself from the last vestiges of hate or insecurity or fears or frustrations or resentments or jealousy. Each and every one of us in our own way, but not in a judgmental way. Not without the question, you know, let me find out how bad I am. You're not bad, you're good. You're very good, you're amazing. And because you're so amazing, you want to be really amazing. (laughs) You want to be fully amazing. You want to be fully aligned with your ultimate potential. And I think each and every one of us today has that power to say, we are amazing, and I am amazing, and you're amazing. And now I want my inner amazingness, I just made up a word, to shine in my whole life, so that my life is one of absolute alignment with my infinite core, which is a chelik elekami ma'al mamash. Wow. Um, you want to know how open you should be about your mental illness, number one, and number two, how could you communicate it in a way that they people can understand it, especially your own husband and children and loved ones? Those are two very, very powerful questions. In terms of being open about your mental illness, it's really a very, very personal question because we still live in a society where there's a lot of stigma. And just to tell you, you know, to be open with uh, your mental illness in the most uninhibited fashion, I'm certainly not in a position to be able to give you that advice. I do admire very, very deeply the courageous souls among us who by telling their story, they inspire so many other people. Because mental illness, let's face it, is the big dark secret that every family deals with, or at least so many families deal with, but nobody talks about. (laughs) And so many people don't know that their next door neighbor, you know, and their nephew, and their niece, and their cousin, and their sister, (laughs) and their grandmother, (laughs) and all of their uncles are dealing with it, because nobody talks. So I'm so in awe of those courageous souls who come out and share their stories in settings that inspire so many people, just like children who were molested, who in recent years started to share their story as adults. And they gave so many people the chizuk, the empowerment, that they can go to therapy, that they can share their story, that they can press charges if necessary, that they can heal, that they can face their abusers, that they could confront their shame. And here too, there's so much stigma and so much self-loathing and so many people who don't know that they deserve help and they're capable of help and they're not destined to a life of infinite darkness. But despite all their struggles, they can, they, they, they have incredible opportunities. And not only that, you and I know so well that somebody who struggles with mental illness and learns how to conquer it, even if they can't get rid of it, but they learn how to deal with it and how to grow through it, they become the most amazing leaders of a generation because they are the ones who know what empathy is. They are the ones who know what love is. They are the ones who can look people in their eyes and be there for them. I always tell every person with mental illness, don't despair because you were sent here on a mission to bring in light, not only to your own darkness, but you will be able to help so many, so many people. So 
I cannot, I, but I cannot instruct somebody to go share this. But I always find it very courageous when a person has the courage to be able to share their story with loved ones, with friends, not because they're trying, you know, just to share the story and disturb everybody, but really to create awareness, to realize that we're all struggling, that in every family there's challenges, and that we have to be here for each other. And instead of judging people and dismissing them, because, oh, she has mental illness, he has mental illness. We all have some form of mental illness, and so many of us have serious forms of mental illness. And if we can create a culture that's more accepting, more loving, more compassionate, it doesn't mean we should be naive. It doesn't mean that if I have to marry off my daughter or my son, I shouldn't do all the research that I have to do and make sure that this is something that's going to work. But it does mean to get rid of that superficial stigma and judgmentalism. So I am deeply in awe of such people. In terms of how to communicate it to a husband and children in a way that they can understand, I really don't feel that I have the authority to answer that question because I'm sure that there are quite a few professionals and probably books and literature that deal with communicating these ideas to family members, whether it's bipolar, whether it's psychosis, whether it's borderline, whether it's various forms of depressions, whether it's other personality disorders and mental challenges. I I know I have seen a great literature about how to talk about this to children of different ages, age-appropriate, different stages in life, in a way that they should be able to accommodate it into their being without being traumatized and scared. The same is true about talking to a spouse. So I think there is a lot of data and research about this. It's important to have a real professional who's an expert not a pseudo-expert, not somebody who read, you know, uh, a blog and becomes an expert, but somebody who's a real, real expert, knows all the research, knows the data, who can really help guide you in this area, or great books that are out there in order to help guide you about how to communicate this to family in a way that is both real and authentic, but in a way that can be absorbed by the children and by the spouse in a way that they can feel safe and, and confident. Yeah, when somebody says that depression is only a lack of a moon, and if you would believe in God, you would get rid of all your anxiety, all your depression, all your personality disorder. It's, it's, it's coming from real, real ignorance. You know, they either don't know what a moon is, or they don't know what depression is, and probably they don't know what both are. <laughs> and it really, it can be cruel, even if they don't mean to be cruel, but it's really a cruel thing to say. Because there are wonderful people who are struggling for so many years with serious mental challenges. And they have the deepest amuna in the world. And as we just heard, your amuna, her amuna, is what sustained her through unbearable pain. And to accuse them of not having amuna is really, really a display of such profound ignorance. I can't even begin to describe it. And that's why I'm laughing from the profound ignorance. And people really have to be educated. They have to understand that that's not what a moon is, that sometimes a person is struggling with deep, powerful voices inside of them that if you have not experienced it, you really don't understand and just educate yourself. Be humble, be vulnerable, learn about it. And the Amuna can't always obliterate it. I'm sure there's certain forms of worry and, 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 and stress that Amuna can, can, can help and eliminate, but sometimes we're dealing with very serious issues that require a whole, uh, that require years, decades, sometimes a life of treatment. Where's the compassion? Where's the sensitivity? Amuna, the function of Amuna is that 
in our darkness. King David says, David HaMalach says, even as I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be intimidated by toxicity because I know that you're with me. Yes, he had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But Emunah gave him the fortitude to know that God is always holding your hand and is always here with you, even in the abyss. I could put it out there. I could put it out there. I will. And we'll get it out there. I also want to tell everybody that um, a lot of shiurim of mine that go up every single day on a website called theyeshiva.net. That's T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A dot net, N-E-T, theyeshiva.net. Every day they put new classes. A lot of them are about emotional health and emotional healing. So Torah Anytime has many of them, but the yeshiva.net has all of them. So I just want to invite all of you. I think many of you will enjoy a lot of those shurim. And I'm going to I'm gonna take my words and post it on the yeshiva.net and so we can get more awareness out there. Chaskenu can take it and send it out to all of the people who are involved. And you could give it to siblings, to to parents, to relatives. And that's how things get out. And let's get it out there. Let's make a change. My pleasure, my honor, a bracha to everybody. Shem should give you hatzlocha in everything. Adbli dai, revealed goodness, health, happiness, prosperity, resilience, fortitude, and the courage to overcome and transform all obstacles. And psuris toivis tamit kol hayamim. We should have a geula shleima b'meira b'yameinu. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.